0: Human rights don't come easily. They actually have to be fought for. Fought for with encryption, fought for with principled individuals, fought for with giving people other alternatives. And the best alternative is economic sovereignty.
1: Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about what is it, four months now, and I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, Choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining, or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is is dot Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Also, today we have Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars, it's about replacing them. So while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is LVL.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. Well, this is an absolute pleasure. Uh, Austin and Jeff together. Um, I'm really honored to get a chance to sit down with you both and have a conversation. I'm, I'm actually hoping I'm just going to fire a couple of questions and just leave it to you both. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the smartest people I've ever met and to get you together is incredible. So uh, I'll start with uh, you, Jeff. How how are you? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. You well, Austin?
0: Incredibly well. Uh, actually feeling just a lot of sense of gratitude, just given uh Especially just recent events. I was Jeff and I had the opportunity to be down in El Salvador, and it was just you know an inc- incredible contrast to a lot of my expectations. And at the same time, you just you can't help but walking walk away and just you know get a dose of just how blessed and how privileged we are.
1: And uh, yeah. well, I'm excited to talk to you both about El Salvador. Uh, I've been five or six times now, uh, over the space of a couple of years. Uh, a range of different experiences, and uh, I love the country. I love the I love the papooses, I love the people. Uh, it it's not exactly. I don't think it's always exactly what people expect. Um, but I'm interested to get your perspectives. Both your first time, yeah, first time in El Salvador, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and you agree to go together. Yeah, spend some time down yeah. there, meet some people. Uh, were Max and Stacy down there? Yeah, we did an event down there with them. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'll start with you, Jeff. What I mean, how do you sum up your experience? Yeah.
2: So hey, Austin just said it, you, it. I've traveled a lot of the world, and so I've been to many third world countries and or, or emerging countries, and uh, and it was it was that. But it, but in all of those experiences, and El Salvador was no different. What you realize is what you hear in the news. Is very different than the experience on the ground. People all over the world are similar to you and I. Same hopes, dreams, dreams for a better future. And when you're actually meeting people on the ground um, and spending time with them in small villages or wherever, you just realize just just tons of beautiful people that are trapped in a system that doesn't it doesn't exactly look like that. And in El Salvador. I think there's a lot of bitcoiners that think, okay, Bitcoin's everywhere there, and it and it's really early, um, and and it's experiment. It's tons of hope for the country, but also, um, there's a lot of people even in government that don't know how fast they, or what's going to happen here, and and so it's early. It's early there. A lot of people are trying to find their way there, and so they, yes. McDonald's takes it, Starbucks takes it, all the big chains take it, but some of the smaller places, and especially outside of El Zante, don't yet. And I wouldn't say um, we we went to schools that were learning it. We went to um, we went to I went to a Bitcoin meetup that where where you saw a guy called it. He calls him you probably know him Bitcoin Taxi, and and uh, and he's created a business and now he employs three other people is Bitcoin taxi because, it, and, and so it's changed his life. And so when you start to see that, you can't come away from that and not kind of see hope and where where this takes the country. Um, but it is still really early.
1: Yeah, I mean, hope hope's a, it's a really, it's like a profound word for the experience you have there because uh, it isn't what you expect. You 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 have this expectation you can get there, and everyone's accepting Bitcoin understands that they don't. But you discover these little stories of people who've. I mean, there's a guy down in Zante uh, who he saved a bit of Bitcoin early on, and he ended up getting his teeth done. I don't know if you met him, yeah. um, the old guy with the cowboy. Hat. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I forget yeah, yeah. his name, but you but you see these little pockets of stories, and you read. Okay, there's some hope here. There's something for the future. Uh, how about yourself, Austin? What was the experience like for you?
0: Um. So I've been living in kind of uh, Latin America the last couple of years. Um, Certainly every Latin American country is very different. Um, But I think all of them are suffering from some of the consequences of being uh, very dependent on the U.S. dollar and petrodollar as their kind of base reserve currency, whether or not it was officially adopted like in El Salvador, uh, the U.S. dollar peg or not. Um, So I've certainly seen the effect that the pandemic and, you know, the money printing has had on economies that I've visited. Um, Seeing it in El Salvador was really different in the sense that Jeff talks about hope. We were talking about this idea of like hope. Um, A lot of the hope I've seen in other places in Latin America or the hopelessness was tied to just an institutional belief that our lot in life will never change or a very kind of misdirected kind of just general sense of hope you know whether that comes from religion family you know things can always be worse but we at least we have each other type like very generalized hope this was the first time you actually when i talked to people you know as we said students people in the streets you ask them how do you feel and the answers were almost consistently i'm hopeful for the first time and i would go a little deeper and say what's made you hopeful they sometimes they knew we were involved in Bitcoin, sometimes didn't want to broadcast it at all. And the stories had a very, very common theme, uh, very much tied to, you know, a little bit of skepticism, but tons of hopefulness that this time it's different. And that was tied to how gangs were being treated, how the crackdown of violence was being done, uh, a lot of hope that Bukele and his administration live up to the promise. But, you know, some healthy skepticism. Um, and But, you know, when you went and talked to the children, uh, we were in a school that was K to 12. The school went from 100 students last year to 825 this year, um, because so many parents have re-enrolled their kids where they didn't before. They had pulled their kids out of school and they were working in markets, they were working in family-owned businesses, um, and the school has now exploded. We asked him, how many do you lose to gangs?" He said, since February, around 10% of the entire student body, I lost to gangs. And he said, but, and we were like, is it economic? Is it peer pressure? Are they being forced? And he said, it's pure economics. He said, you know, one of the students, it was, uh, I guess, two brothers. Their mother got cancer. They left school, worked for the gangs. Their mother died. They came back to school. And so, you know, you, you're talking to these kids and you're asking, we went into the classrooms and we just asked, what's your favorite social network? And they're just like every other child. It's TikTok, it's WhatsApp. You know, what's your favorite music app? I'm into SoundCloud. You know, so you know, you see the power of TCPIP as this unifying force that has brought this kind of sense of equality and hope. But they do not have the same. You know, when we talk about Bitcoin, I used to, I like to use the analogy of uh, snakes and ladders. But the system, as it's designed, the board game has nothing but broken ladders. Like, it's impossible to climb up, but you can definitely slide down. This is a country who's finally seeing a few ladders that work, and they're desperately just trying to land on that spot. And so when you ask them, like, what do you hope to be when you grow up? It's like, graphic designer, and they're showing you their skills with Photoshop. And you just realize, you know, you pair that with a little bit of education. What's your favorite video game? Roblox, you know? (laughs) They're... There's so much potential there and untapped human potential that I think a little bit of resources and a little bit of opportunity creates this outsized outcome. And that's what led me very hopeful for what I saw.
1: Depending on when this goes out, we probably have to let people know and kind of timestamp it. But there is definitely some challenges with the administration there right now. And uh, this is something I've been fully conscious of, is that do we are we at risk sometimes of putting... Too much hope, too much pressure on uh, what is a government and what is an administration that could essentially bring a risk to Bitcoin. And uh, part of me has some real empathy for Bukele with a gang situation where he has been accused of uh, doing deals with the gangs to try and reduce violence. And now he's in a situation where he's trying to clamp down on the gangs, and he's receiving criticism. He's, whatever solution he tries, he seems to receive some criticism. I have a massive amount of empathy there. Um, are you okay talking about your experience while you were there? Because sure. you went you you went there on the day martial law was announced. And so so yeah. let,
2: let's get into that. And I think it, I'm gonna I, I gave it a, a talk to the YPO group there. Okay, um, in San Salvador, and the YPO group, old money. Um, typically very against Bukele. The the owner of the main newspaper there, very against Bukele and 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 rights and freedoms and so much so that he's like how how dare you lock up people for with no with no trial or anything else? So and and he asked me after Bit, after he and and again because he's so against Bukele and the whole group was they were against bitcoin. And so there's a whole part of the, the audience that is very against Bitcoin and the, wealth, and the wealthy of El Salvador. And I broke through that group. But one of the things that he asked me, he said, what is the worst thing about Bitcoin? What is name the worst thing about Bitcoin? And I said, you, ha- you, you have to accept that people you dislike completely are on it too. And they make the network stronger. And over time, there's actually nothing that Kelly can do to hurt Bitcoin. It will keep on emerging and he makes it stronger by bringing a whole bunch of people on. And then that network will expand and it'll make the people stronger. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't do what the people want, he will be ousted. That's what, and, and, and you could say that, it, it, it's probably the most misunderstood thing about Bitcoin because people trap their own beliefs about a person, hero or, or villain, and they attach that to the to the network, and it's completely independent.
1: My experience when I was there the last time uh, filming was there were anti Bitcoin protests, but they were really anti bukele protests. But, so that, I, what, I, what made, what I made it, the point: if he'd have, if he'd have banned Bitcoin, they'd have all been protested for it.
2: Yeah. yeah, so that and that's and that's that's the point in this. And you know this in this network, it doesn't actually matter who you are. Uh-huh. Every additional voice in making it stronger brings on more, more and more people and makes the entire network stronger. And that network change, that change from one system that cannot work anymore to a new system that can, actually puts people in control. A peer-to-peer network that people are more in control and the government loses power as a result. So you could, he could be a narcissistic leader. You could, he might not be, he might be. I don't know him personally. But I, I know he made Bitcoin better and he's making Bitcoin better by bringing any, and, and as a result, he's going to make a whole bunch of his people. How many people take it, take hold of it and, and drive that out? How much How much business comes out of new Bitcoin startups out of that that creates real wealth in the country? And that's a feeling of hope. Um. So it, you, you have to dismiss that personal attack, whatever side you're on from the, uh, from, from from Bitcoin, and the network. Hmm.
0: So my experience, obviously, I, I share a lot of Jeff's views, especially when it comes to like Bitcoin and the pros and cons. Um, I had a little bit of a contrasting experience. Um, you know, I landed there with my fiance on Saturday. They had declared martial law. Um, we were driving to El Zante, and you know, I've traveled in dangerous countries before, so I take certain security precautions. I'm taking pictures of the license plates. I've notified, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and some security backup teams I have in terms of, like, if necessary, deploy KNR insurance and come find me. <laughs> um, you know, you just never know, right? And um, and while that kind of cautionary, like, oh, my God, what, what have I got myself into and the worry can run rampant, I also, you know, just flat out asked one of the security drivers we had, uh, I was like, how do you feel? I mean, it, it obviously was a really rough week. And he was like, I'm so hopeful. And I was like, really, what makes you hopeful? I mean, I'm hearing, he goes, he told me the story. He said, six years ago, I shot two gang members while on the job. Wow. Protecting his clients. Protecting his clients. Jesus. He goes, I was sent to prison for four days and I was waiting to die. And it was only because my uh, security company decided to bail me out that I didn't end up in the main prison where I would be killed by the gangs for killing those two gang members. He goes, so I barely escaped dying. And he goes, every day since coming to work, ever since then, I've lived in fear that if I ever was faced in that decision, would I let my clients get killed or would I put me me and my family at risk? He goes, the Bukeleys have now made self-defense the standard. So if I shoot a bunch of gang members defending my clients, I'm not afraid of going to prison. He goes, so it's open season on criminals as it should be because they're a scorch to our country. Now, as a peace and love Canadian hippie, you know, very blessed child who was not exposed to that level of violence, you know, it can be shocking. You know, my answer wants to be kumbaya. Someone pulls a gun and I want to give them a, let's hug it out, right? But that's just not the reality of the environment. And it's a very blessed and very, you know, frankly, naive point of view in how do you deal with the real-world violence that he has grown up in. Um, And so, you know, that contrast is very vivid. But for him, the changes that are being made and the idea that criminals got thrown in jail without any trial is absolutely a blessing. Um, For me, who believes... There's a famous quote that peace is not the absence of violence. It's actually the absence of... uh, It's when you have the absence of justice. Oh, oh So only the uh, the reestablishment of justice with no violence can actually lead to peace, right? So you look at an environment like that where there's systemic multi-generational uh, violence, where, you know, the economic problems and frankly, a lot of the problems that were, in some regards, not necessarily their own,
1: right? well the, the gangs came from the US
0: well gangs came from a lot of the other countries and were exported uh some of the uh, economic uh, sovereignty that they sought at various stages was essentially stolen from them through a foreign policy that required them to be a debtor nation that it required through you know IMF loans and through uh selling off of their major industries at you know that turned their citizens into essentially slave workers. This is a
2: really, impor- really important point,
0: because Re- mm. a lot of people look at the they don't look at the cause.
2: They look at the the gangs. They get scared of the gangs and say that's a terrible country. All of those people are terrible, and they don't realize the kid that came out of school to save that save his mum had no other choice, no other economic choice to come out of school but to join a, a gang. And if they were in the same situation, they would too. They just they and they they judge the cause is economic uh, an economic disparity the cause of 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 all of that is when people can't can't make it and they try to and and so they turn to gangs because it's a way that they can make it.
1: Also, trying to understand the level of violence, uh, it's hard to comprehend. I think for some people who have never been lived around this kind of level of violence, my friends John and Danielle run a, a project in San Salvador, which is. They help get people who are addicted to drugs, um, alcohol off the street and protect them, but they also help with kids and they also help with sex workers. And my last visit with them was... It was it had a profound effect on me because uh, they told me an example of, of uh, a situation you have why people maybe flee the country. They said one example was one of the gang members had uh, identified a young girl who has become his girlfriend in the gang. She was 12 years old. And she said, what they will do, they, they go to the family and they say, give me your daughter or we're going to kill all of you. And if they don't give the daughter, they said they will kill them all. And so what happens is the family have a choice is to hand over the daughter or flee or stay and die. They're not going to choose to stay yeah. and die. And often the girl will get taken. She's a 12 year old and she will be raped and abused continually. And I, I I think a lot of people can't comprehend that level of violence that exists. And,
0: and obviously a horrible story. Yeah. But you look at a number of other impoverished nations yeah. around the world, whether it was the rise of ISIS and ISIS brides, whether or not it was in other places. And when you go do root cause analysis and you actually go to first principles, you realize a huge part of the rise of ISIS was actually desi- came from the famine in Syria that drew drove everyone from their rural environments into the cities and force this economic and climate, some would say climate related, some will say it's just the world doing what the world does. Whatever you side argument, the reality was there was a drought. The drought caused people to migrate. That migration forced the breakdown and the structure of very small family, close-knit rural structures and put them in a hostile environment where they were exposed to new criminal elements that they had no ability to fight back. Um, now this has been institutionalized over multiple generations so the norm and the acceptance of the norm just becomes something you start to live with right yeah and you know the same way we've now gone 30 or 40 years where without the idea of a country invades another country and everyone wakes up shocked that russia would ever do this in ukraine it's like okay that's a very privileged point of view if you actually study history you realize that the writing was on the wall for a very long time <laughs> that russia was very very clear Um, and, And there's a whole bunch of foreign policy messes and choices and consequences and economic and, you know, fight over resources and energy that led to this. And that's not to assign blame to anyone. The blame is obviously on a very, you know, what I think most people would recognize as a hostile, irrational leader who is using the weapons of the past to enact a dream of the past, which is to be the USSR. But... In each of these cases, you can actually go back to first principles and look at the acceptance of violence or the acceptance of some of these violations of what we take for granted. Human rights don't come easily. They actually have to be fought for. Fought for with encryption, fought for with principled individuals, fought for with giving people other alternatives. And the best alternative is economic sovereignty.
1: Well, there's a really interesting point with that. So when I was... uh uh, looking into the reports, where it was, came out that there were secret meetings within the prison between Bukele's administration and the gangs. And one of the things that really stood out to me was, as part of the negotiation, or part of, and I don't know how much of this is true, but part of the negotiation for the, the to reduce the killings amongst the gangs, was the request from the gangs for jobs for the gang members. It's, a, it's all economic yeah so so a lot of
2: and root cause analysis that we think we don't change our minds we think we couldn't be in in because we live in a certain world we're not capable of those other things if you couldn't eat if you couldn't feed your family you would turn to whatever you could you'd steal you'd do it um and and so all of this stuff, it, 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 um, I, I think even Jordan Peterson talks about it the wrong way around, and he's fantastic on 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 all of our beliefs in our mind and how they're all stories, but those are created from from economics,
0: incentive design. People, you know, there's mass amounts of psychology, the human brain, uh, you know, pleasure reward centers. What we're learning about neurology, whether or not that's in addiction or whether or not that's pain avoidance. Um, you know, that Maslow hierarchy of needs where your basic safety and then you move into sustenance and then you move up to community, love, you know, self-actualization. Those aren't just abstract concepts, but when you actually break them down into how the brain works, how we react to stress, how we make decisions, you can trace so many of those things back to incentive design. And So much of that gets lost. So, you know, we had talked about previously, and I know this is something Jeff and I have talked a lot about, about the idea that, you know, what if you could orange pill five or six American cities? We talked about some of the ideas on this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, in one of the recent discussions I had with some friends who are working on this, um, so just for people who hadn't listened, you know, the idea is, could you take a city of anywhere from 50, 25,000, 50,000, all the way up to maybe 750 or a million people, and actually orange pill the entire city, funded in part by bonds, like what El Salvador is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So if the city passes certain Bitcoin-friendly laws, there could be grants, uh, essentially under something called a zero-coupon bond, which is how they fund usually municipal, like water projects, recycling plants, where there's, you know, 25-year balloon payment at the end. So could you actually do that by creating a Bitcoin incentive bond, where every citizen who moves stays, and becomes a productive member of society, can actually earn Bitcoin, and almost like we designed the Blockstream incentive bond for all our employees, there's a vesting schedule, and you design an incentive system. And so one of the candidate cities that we were talking to actually said, okay, we're we're gonna do it, but we want a sister city to do it, and the sister city we want has the largest prison in the state, and we want to include the Bitcoin bond for all prisoners. Interesting. They're like, we want to give Bitcoin, vested Bitcoin, to every prisoner. So if they're model prisoner, they get parole, they stay off drugs, they get a job. At the end of seven years, they actually get a Bitcoin just like every other citizen who resides in the city. Because these guys so believe that incentive design can actually create positive incentives. And if prisoners know, I can get out of prison and actually maybe be able to actually buy a house or be able to reform myself. There is a path back from where I was to salvation. They believe that that's actually a worthwhile thing
1: for the community and society. Well, this is what Schellenberger has discussed a lot with the issues in San Francisco. He's talked about the incentive. There, there is no incentive for people to give up drugs. Yeah. There's no incentive uh, if you are if you overdose. You're taken. You're picked up by an ambulance, you resuscitated, you put back on the street, and you're, you're there's no
0: incentive not to break into a car. There are literally no. street signs saying, Welcome to a car break-in neighborhood. Please don't leave anything in your car because we we do not report car break-ins. So it's like literally an
1: advertisement on the street. It happened to us when we, yeah, yeah. we had dinner, our, our window was smashed in. But he was saying, The problem is the way you need to change this, you need to change the incentive model. There needs to be uh, a, a structure in place where if, if you're an addict and you've overdosed. You have two choices. You can either go into recovery or you can go into jail. It's one of the two. He said, then you'll incentive, you give people a reason to work on themselves, but these incentives, they don't exist. But the incentive design of the entire economic system,
2: yeah, the fiat system is opposite to what will happen. Of course. right? And, and, and that, incentive, that incentive is driving everything else. So when you look through the lens and you see the world is getting more polarized, it's designed to get more polarized. It's designed, and and as, if you knew, I can make more money at the top of this system, it, whether I go into politics or whatever, to be able to make more money, or or or, uh, or essentially socialize losses if I'm too big to fa- fail, then you're going to do more of that for your share of more of more of the world, and then as you do that, it, it, and society just gets ripped apart. They don't see that there's somebody on the ground in El Salvador, on the other side of that bat, joining a gang. They don't see it at all. They say, well, I, I, I won my bet. And they don't see the, that incentive. That incentive design all around the world is changing in Bitcoin, and there's nothing that can stop it.
0: Hmm. Oh. And uh, it, uh, the, this is something interesting Jeff and I talked about at our event. Um, people think that because digital scarcity exists, that the idea that Bitcoin is a zero-sum game. And it's actually not, right? Because the growth of Bitcoin, the size of it as a lifeboat, you know, I use this analogy. uh, This is why sometimes I, you know, I don't judge how anyone becomes a Bitcoiner. Bitcoin is for everyone. And everyone's going to enjoy Bitcoin, spread it, use their evangelism to their right. Um, I, for a very long time, have kind of shied away from some of the I love the meme cultures. I laugh at memes. enjoy them. But some of the memes that I feel are like punching down, right? I I use the example of have fun staying poor. You know, I use the analogy of if I see someone drowning, I'm never going to sit there and say, have fun drowning. You had a chance to get a lifeboat. Aren't you dumb? That's just not within my humanity, right? Like, I'm going to look at them and say, oh, my God, how do we get them on the lifeboat? Exactly. How do we make enough room for them? And every one of us who, Jeff talks about Bitcoin being good for your enemies, or you have to accept that your enemies may use it, people you hate, and it makes you stronger. That is increasing the size of the lifeboat. Everyone, good, bad, people you agree with, people you disagree with. And we want the lifeboat to be as big as possible with as much air and as much resistance to sinking as possible. Because if everyone is going to drown, those of us who are in those lifeboats, are going to get dragged under with them. Jeff uses the analogy, and uh, it was one of the earliest comments he gave when we were getting to know each other. Show me one point in history when you could build walls big enough to keep the haves from the (laughs) have-nots. And, you know, if Titanic is going down, the people who are cheering for it and can't wait for it, thinking I've got my lifeboat and who cares about the rest, are kind of ignorant of history. I mean, when the Titanic went down, you could have been the richest guy or the poorest. There was no guarantee that your lifeboat wasn't gonna get toppled by a bunch of people struggling to get onto the
1: lifeboat. Well, this is why I, I'm not a huge fan of the Citadel discussions, because for me, the Citadel discussion feels like a, uh, uh, an idea around those who have managed to accumulate enough wealth, get to move into a, a walled garden and escape. But, well, it, is, it wouldn't work. Well, it would, one, it wouldn't work, but it's also, I, I feel like it's a, it's uh it's an idea based around privilege. Yeah. And you know, that's not to say people in there haven't worked hard. and accumulated wealth honestly but it still feels like uh uh it feels like let's escape from the collective issues in society as an individualist and I'll go and position myself uh with my guns and my wealth away from everybody else
0: yeah i mean aside from functionally it won't work because you know we talked about this in our discussion about singularity tech and the asymmetric abilities of new technologies so you know the, the, a person's ability to actually protect against like I can build steel gates. Great, steel gates don't work anymore because of drones, of because of plasma torches, because of this, because of that. So I put up some new energy grid with my f- fission nuclear reactor that I invested in. Great, that's not going to hold up against some guy who has new tunneling tech. Um, you know, so it's just like this cat and mouse game that will never, ever, ever give you the security that you want, and the investment of that, frankly, just doesn't lead to happiness when you're constantly looking and saying, who is going to take my stuff away from me? Because there's this massive divide between those who have and those who have not. Yeah. Does not, in my mind, lead to happiness. You can have all the, you know, eggs from the farm, but if you're, you know, the single chicken surrounded by foxes, (laughs) well, it doesn't lead to a lot of, you know, good quality eggs. You are not laying good quality eggs. You're
1: waiting to be eaten. Well, this is why I've been recently exploring this idea of freedom and tr- really trying to understand, like, when some people were claiming they want, they're not free, or they, they've they got a pursuit of freedom, I'm trying to understand what that really means for people. Uh, I'm often a defender of democracy, and I know all its flaws, but the response can often be uh, that I'm a status used as a pejorative. But what I'm actually trying to understand is, like, what what do you mean by What is the freedom you don't have that you want? Do You want absolute liberty, but to, like you say, have to have the correct uh, or the right amount of weaponry or accumulate the right amount of guns to protect yourself, always looking over your shoulder. I I think we've done a lot in Western liberal democracies over centuries to fight for the freedoms we have. And we we don't have a pretty... You know, we have a pretty good... And, And I'm like, you know, you have pretty good property rights in the UK and in the US. You live in a pretty safe society, fairly. You know, what is it? What is this? What is this next level freedom that you want? Because uh, I look around the rest of the world and I see, like, Gladstein quotes that half a billion people live under authoritarian rule. Gladstein so, is
0: incredible on this. Yeah. I mean, he talks about what is some of their tests on whether or not you live in a free society, right? Can you go to a gay pride parade? Yeah. Can you make a career insulting your leader? Yeah. And make a million dollars, right? Like these are some of their tests that they use to decide do you live in a free society. And people have asked him, and I've seen him talk very eloquently about you know, a lot of what people think are the lack of freedoms. Cancel culture, the cultural divide, the infighting, are actually just consequences of this economic incentive in the war that are being designed to get people distracted and fighting together. So that's And hard. it's the illusion that you're losing your freedoms when at, people around the world actually have no freedoms and they are willing to put their life on the lines to get those freedoms.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, it is not an illusion that you're losing your freedoms. It... it Those freedoms. So, if if we vote for an economic system, and most of that economic system is hidden from us through inflation, and we have no vote in that, then can we say we live in a democracy where our vote counts? Uh, And and it is and, and here let me, because if if governments have to structurally have to inflate, or the whole thing collapses, and that inflation steals our time, it's a theft. And it steals our, our time and, and that must get bigger and bigger and bigger as we vote for people who have to lie to us more. And once we see under the curtain of that lie, that they, they have to be able to to in Canada right now, there's, they're deciding what is good content on the internet. That, that comes away, that takes my right to choose away and it puts in the government control. So they can keep up an illusion of this, of the Wizard of Oz behind the glass, behind the, cur- behind the curtain. Yeah. So I do, I do. If I looked back twenty years, thirty years, it might have been there all the time, but the rate of that, of that kind of our my freedom is going away. Didn't look like I didn't grow up in that society, and I'm measuring, and a lot of people are measuring what we, you might be, what you grew up with. And, and and thinking that that's going to be here in twenty years yeah. and if you just play these 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 out without bitcoin that will not be here in twenty years
1: now, look I, I'm with you i agree there is there is a declining a decline in freedoms at the moment if freedom is a spectrum we' we are on a decline at the yeah. moment yeah. in whether it's the us whether it's Canada, where it's the uk there is a decline uh and I like the idea of defending our freedoms and defending democracy. And I think, you know, we understand the issues with the current monetary system, the monetary misinformation that we talked about in our last interview. I think we're in a very small minority that understand that. So when people are voting, I don't think they realize they're voting in a system that is designed to break them.
2: So, so carry that forward. So, and that's actually where I, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to a bunch of the Bitcoiners that are hardliners here even though I don't agree with the Citadels as an answer, but I'm totally sympathetic to where they're going. And because they see where this takes us and it does take us there. And then they say, okay, wait, those people don't understand what we're talking about. And then this podcast that touches those people and makes them important gets banned by, by YouTube. And, and if government can, can tell us what is right and what is wrong, then our freedoms are completely gone and and it it has to happen not it might happen mm. it, out of the existing system it's a structural it's a structural system that has to get worse and the only way that structural system saves itself is by taking away the individual rights and
1: freedoms but we do have an opportunity to fight against this it's like if we're in China well, and the CBDC is being implemented Nobody can do anything about it. it Forever. 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 Well, but here, but, sorry, just to finish. Whereas CBDC, it was announced in the UK, they wanted to call it Bitcoin. There are people publicly talking against it. And and yes, it could be banned as speech, but it isn't. And right now, people are trying to talk against it. And we will get to vote in a democracy, which is, a, uh, which is based on a government that could implement that system. So what I'm saying is like, I think we have a decline in freedoms, but we have the opportunity to fight defend to defend them.
2: So, so, but this and this is a really great debate talking point. Yeah, and I understand all side. I understand all the sides of it. But now, you you just said 99 percent of the people don't know what we're talking about. Whatever that number is, yeah, um, huge amount of population is completely uh, wool pulled over their eyes that have no idea. And now let's say you have the inflation rate and the the government says, we're going to print more money so we can give you more money, but it has to be done through CBDC and nobody knows what we're talking about. What do you you think happens? Oh, look, I know people will take the money. They'll take take the money on a CBDC all all day long because the desperation came from the government policies in the first place that that created the desperation. And then they're going to use the same desperation to drive a CBDC. So... So that's why this is this fight, or this, and I know Bitcoin's an idea. I try not to attack the system as, 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 because it's it's not a people, it's just a system that's going to keep doing this. But that's why this idea is so important. And that's why if you're in Bitcoin, you want to, you, you almost can't stop talking about it. You want to spend more time in it mm-hmm. because it's that important.
0: Well, and this is something I agree with Jeff said, and I, I, maybe to clarify, I also have a lot of sympathy. I mean, I've seen firsthand what some of the early developers, early people in Bitcoin, have had to deal with: with shitcoiners, with lies, with fud, with constantly being misaligned, uh, with people who came in and originally were very supportive of Bitcoin and then flipped and became altcoiners or you know shitcoiners and scammers. So you develop this almost immune response system that almost like a reaction to you know COVID can have, it protects you. Your immune system resp- response protects you, but uh, it's a psychotine or a, a storm can be created where the immune system response actually goes into overdrive and starts to become the actual enemy of the good. And so to a certain degree, these reactions, the meme culture, the calling out shit coins, uh, the attacking anyone who attacks Bitcoin, uh, being very, very skeptical of like mainstream media environmentally uh, f- environmentalism and climate issues being used to attack Bitcoin and all the fun that goes with that. Um, and you can totally understand why people are up in arms and just saying, "I'm sorry, these are lies perpetuated to keep people in economic slavery mm-hmm. and be really, really upset by that. I just think, you know, part of maturing and a part of I think where Bitcoin needs to go it served us incredibly well as a community. We're now reaching out to people that are on farther and farther on the edges who are more programmed by that stuff. And how you reach a lot of these people is you need to figure out a way to communicate with them where they're at, not where you're at.
1: I completely agree. I mean, this, this is something we discuss continually here. Uh, uh, the podcast reviews, we get reviews on Apple and they we get I get an email every week from Charitable telling me them. I've had two people recently say, I'm done with the podcast. It's too many right-leaning libertarians. And we laugh because we think we're probably the, the most broad Bitcoin show there is. You know, we've had people like Ben Ark and Margot Pires who are, are, are lefties who want to talk about Bitcoin. And we're trying to bring that broad spectrum in now. Like, all the libertarians have heard of Bitcoin. They all yeah. know about it now. We're going to the masses, and we're trying to say, how do we open up this dialogue? How do we make people not scared of Bitcoin? It doesn't matter whether you're on the left, the right, the center, the libertarian. How do we, how do we make it for everyone?
2: And it, it's funny that you just said libertarians. When I spoke at the Austrian uh, conference, the central bank, um, there were a bunch of libertarians in the room. Um, many of them didn't own Bitcoin.
1: I know. I've, it always fascinates me. And, and I,
2: like really. Like, and but but again Bitcoin is a political if you're on the left and you truly want to lift people out of poverty I actually cannot believe that they're not all over Bitcoin I know well'
0: I've, I've seen it in Canada so I've I've sat down with central bankers people on left on the right in Canada um especially when I was like living in Canada and trying you know through my work with blockstream and being involved in Bitcoin we were trying to educate everyone. And really, as a bipartisan issue, just all Canadians, and we did this in other countries as well. Um, and so, I was very, very comfortable sitting down with conservatives, who uh, you know hated government spending and were very up in arms about rising government spending, who wanted to you know drill more pipelines, use more fossil fuels, use the oil sands, and be able to talk to them about Bitcoin as a tool for economic uh, sovereignty, economic liberty and for uplifting everyone's ability to pull themselves up the economic ladder. And we went from everything to uh, First Nations like uh, reserves to uh, a crippling socialized healthcare system. How does Bitcoin end up benefiting to things like UBI, which they were adamantly against because they view it as just you know, worse than the existing social programs that exist. Yep. But when you start to say, you know what, what is the goal of UBI? You know, if you go back to first principles, UBI is is an assumed answer to a very real problem. If people have no social safety net and jobs don't exist and this ability to pull yourself up an economic ladder is totally, you know, outside of the reach of everyone, people eventually fall into hopelessness, crime, despair. Um, you know, that is just a natural state of someone without opportunity. And as we see computers, technology, AI, uh, as we see the shift of jobs happen so quicker, such that, you know, you were trained as a truck driver and now you have to go train as an empathy nurse to replace a robot who has no empathy. <laughs> it's like, you know, that is literally one of the jobs that's been identified as oh, the, really? one of the fastest growing jobs in the next 10 will will be what's called an empathy nurse. And it's someone who actually works with the dying, the elderly, and just is there to listen to them as a
1: human empathy node and, that, and then that'll be taken by AI.
0: And eventually that's going to that, be taken by a robot and it's, an it's, AI too. Yeah.
1: Is, there uh, any, is there anything that, that the, the robots can't take? No.
2: Over time, no. No. Over time, no. That's the kind of the most and And, and, and there's a whole bunch Sex of things. Sex workers, yeah.
0: all these things will be replaced. I mean, already there's experiments on all of these. Like, you just name it, any function that can be automated will be automated over a course of a period of time. And so what do humans end up being good at?
1: How close are we to uh, having a robot that can replace a podcast producer? <laughs> <laughs> Not you, Peter. Never. Never it's, you. It can't, no, it can't, and can't replace my assistant, Emma, ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's,
2: but again, of, but, but, yeah. but just come back to that because all of the other nonsense we talk about is is that thing happening at a structural level that we we it will not stop yep. it's going to keep on going it's going to move at an incredible pace and every politician they will tell you we're going to create more jobs we're going to create more jobs more jobs more jobs we're going to we we're going to drive more growth and what they're really saying is is we're going to decrease your real wages through inflation to pay you less to be able to be on a mouse wheel forever. That's what they're really saying, because that's what the more jobs are are doing. Well, AI is going to take it. Well, well, technology is going to take them anyways. And and, and that's why, so even Andrew Yang, he came out with the same thing I came out with. I think World Economic Forum understands the same thing I came out with. But the free market of ideas, I just had a different solution. And my solution was radical that why wouldn't we let prices fall as that happened and save our time? And it sounds really radical, but it's not radical at all. It's more... (laughs) More
0: important, by by creating a culture with the right incentives where you create a culture of ownership that recognizes the time preference of actual sound money, Mm -hmm. you can totally change a lot of these social engineering or societal issues that you want to deal with, start to actually take on new meaning. They fall away. Uh, but things that be- seemed impossible before, actually, you can start to reapproach them and say, what if? I'm not saying we have all the answers, right? I am not one of these people who thinks every single solution gets solved with Bitcoin. But I think a lot of things that didn't work in the past, because they were all based off perpetuating a lie around bad incentive design, bad economics, and keeping this image that somehow the government's going to pick winners and losers. And if you just work hard enough, and if you
1: just are honest, you you can make it too. Jeff, look, can I just ask you a question? Because you, you mentioned talking about uh, the system is designed in a way to you know, keep us almost uh, reliant upon the government and desperate, and it's a, a, a you know, perpetual problem that gets increasingly worse for us. Is your belief that, like, when you say it's there by design, there people actually want this to be, or is this just like a natural outcome from the incentives of the system?
2: We're try to take it out of our own, yeah. uh, to, to, to remove our own bias and yeah. just imagine another planet, yeah, right? another another planet trying to move to uh, a multi multiplanetary species. Okay, you would assume that that planet would would first uh, creatures living on that planet call it what what it would, would have to assume. assume Kind of tribes or groups to be able to protect themselves, develop villages. Dunbar's number here, but but then they would expand and to trade between other groups, they'd have to agree on something as a currency. In that currency, it would probably be the hardest material. It might start at seashells or whatever in, a, in, a, in another planet, but then it would be it would over time form a, the hardest currency. That currency couldn't be moved around at the velocity, that currency couldn't be moved around at the velocity of, of the population growing and expanding global trade on that planet. So you'd build to, on top of it, you'd better build a credit-based system. So now you could get velocity in your money so you could move faster. But the credit-based system on top of that hard money would be always subject to, to human nature Boom bust cycles, and as it got too big, as it got the the boom cycle got too big, and, and the incentives to remove the hard money from it would just naturally uh, would would not, and then that society would go to war to be able to decide the winner of the war and come back to hard money.
0: There are sci-fi books that talk about this on like Mars, and they the hardest asset they use is actually oxygen.
2: So, 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 if you so, no matter where you are on a planet, if you had to get off to a multiplanetary species, the only way to get to a multiplanetary species, because our human bodies can't stand the the time to get to other planets, so would have to be our consciousness would move into robots. It, we would be merging with machines and, and and such. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's it's coming. And the transition step from from the time, as that society built the technology to be able to do 3D printing of asteroids and and materials and form factor and all this technology to be a multi-planetary species would be the exact same time that if they didn't move to a currency that allowed that technology to enable them to do that, they would blow up their planet. And through that, Kind of thought experiment because that technology, to be able to do that, allows us to. We don't need human labor, and the but the entire construct of the free market or, or was around um, the division of labor, and the division of labor, how much our wages are all over the world, was a huge part of getting there. Same thing would happen on any other planet. So the very the same thing, that technology component, to be a multiplanetary species. If the if the if that society couldn't transition into a, it's a, something away from that hard, that the network itself could provide the velocity because that's what Bitcoin does. Right? The the network you can have unlimited velocity and money from the, from the network trade it all peer to peer all around the world. Unless you could do that, you, you probably what that means is a great filter is in front of us. Hmm. And and what you're seeing playing out in, in the world right now, and the risk of of, of real war um, all over the world, is actually what I think is ha- is happening, and it's it, it's caused by that exact same thing. It's caused by technology advancing at a pace that requires a different system.
0: And so, this same technology curve, this same shift that's happening, uh, the trends that Jeff talks about. Um, they certainly give rise to this idea that, you know, digital scarcity ends up having to be a precursor to actually building the, you know, idea exchange, the highly functioning society that allows at scale us to manage the transition into the future. Without it, there is inevitably a move towards perpetuating the lie, continuing the lie. And at one point, the technologies of asymmetric warfare and mass destruction get big enough, far enough, That if you have not caught up in moving away from the lie and actually moving everyone up the economic ladder so that there is some sort of sense of shared consciousness, shared responsibility, shared hope um, that is predominant. It doesn't have to be everywhere because, you know, you have to be a realist, but it has to be more the default than the rarity. Because if it is the default behavior, and there is an overall sense of hope and optimism, and there it is being seen as more equal opportunity with lots of those economic ladders to climb up of, then people are going to spend their time just trying to land on the square with the economic ladder. They're not going to spend all their time looking over their sh- shoulders to see, did I land on a snake? And who do I need to take down with me if I'm going to be going down the snake?
1: Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months, and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it's Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SATs or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30 day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at Keys.casa which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure, sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash peter. Also today, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. But if this does help everyone climb the economic ladder, the incentive therefore is for politicians who want to be successful and, and maintain a successful career in politics and have a legacy, that, that Bitcoin adoption is a logical solution. It, it, it's,
2: that's, that's what's happening, but it's happening at a rate. The, the rate that that happens um, is exactly what Austin's uh, uh, talking about. The rate that that happens, and it'll happen through incentives, same incentives, because it gives a politician that couldn't get elected under the other system power to tell the truth and expose a lie and get elected uh, from this. And as more and more of us choose that, it, it happens. And then the incentives are aligned where every different, instead of citadels, every different country choosing Bitcoin or a very different nation or network of people choosing Bitcoin is gonna design the system that they want with representation. And one politician might say, we need, we need uh, 20% flat tax on everything we do to be able to provide the, all of these services, and we will vote with our feet and our businesses to move there if we like that. And another politician might say, "No, we can do it for five percent," and, and 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 you're just going to scorecard your opportunities, and you're going to say, "This is my this is the domain I want to move to."
0: So there's there's a famous quote I can't remember who wrote it, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but it says something to the degree of the greatest liar you ever meet is the one you meet every morning in the mirror. And it is based off this idea that the human brain and its ability to lie to itself is a necessary part of human evolution, right? We need to create this sense of hope. We need to be able to look at risks and lie to ourselves about how serious these risks are, uh, just to get over fear, just to be able to t- take on some sense of risk-taking, to normalize what is, at times, a very reactive. So. You know, in many respects, the ability to lie to ourselves, lie to ourselves about our past, about pain we suffered, so that it actually can reside into the past. So it's not, you know, ever-present. You know, have memories that fade. These are all necessary parts of how the human brain... And part of that is the ability to lie to yourself. But that ability to lie to ourselves makes us so susceptible to wanting to believe other people's lies. Mm. And it just it opens us up to because we want to believe the lie cuz the lie feels so good and yeah and so it's it takes someone who's actually gone through some heartache gone through some suffering who's has kind of looked at themselves in the mirror i think more times than not to say you know what my life is actually happier when i don't lie to myself and that sense of maturity that's that oftentimes privilege is something people can't do that often when they're running for their lives and trying to avoid getting shot every morning. You don't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. You spend all your time looking for, where do I get my next meal? But even go
2: take that same thing and move up the ladder to people that you think are super successful or in politicians that you think. Let's, let's use Elizabeth Warren as, cool. as an example. And I know what people think, but, but what do you think her base tells her?
1: Um, well, with regards to what? Would
2: her base, like, throw flowers, parties, parades as she's going after the rich people?
1: Uh, possibly. Depends. It, it,
2: she's, getting, she's getting emails all the time. Thank you. Thank, and and she feels like, wow, I'm saving all of these people. Yeah. When, in fact, her policies are actually destroying them. Yeah. But they believe that it's saving them. And she's caught in that lie and, and can see no way out of it because actually calling that... It, it, Telling the, that I was wrong destroys your entire power base of everything else. Well, so she's... She, and and she, her she, self-narrative. And her, and her mm. self-narrative. She, her self-narrative.
0: self-narrative is, I am fighting for the people. The same way I did when I instituted the you know financial oversight board following uh, you know, the 2008 collapse. And she actually did do. She did a great job. A great job. Yeah. And so for her, this is a continuation of the same mission to say, look at these billionaires who stole all this wealth during the pandemic at the expense of the little guy. And she Totally ignoring the fact that the billionaires didn't do it. The government did it with money printing. It's a system. And the system created, you could have sat on your ass and been a horrible businessman and see your wealth increase incredibly high. So it wasn't some mad genius, you know, kind of, oh, only these rich tech executives who are so smart to run the world and are like, you know, the evil illuminati of the world how somehow stole this money from no it was a system it was this system
2: and 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 uh and but but her entire
1: her whole persona is inside that and she believes it i'm not i'm not sure she can believe some of the things she said recently which are just a, such obvious lies like blaming or accusing companies of profiteering when it's clearly inflation like it's there must. I. I don't believe she doesn't realize and, 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 she's lying. And,
2: and, and, and maybe, but do you know anybody else, maybe a friend, who got so over their skis on a on a on on their belief system that was clearly wrong? No, I, they have I, protected it at all costs.
1: I believe the incentive, the system, is for her to to lie. But but this takes me to the point, Jeff. That that I really like in this, in that a lot of the conversations I like uh, the uh, the the new externalities that come from Bitcoin. So we've talked a lot previously about how Bitcoin mining is changing the energy system. Yeah. And that is an amazing thing, which I I, I doubt uh, Satoshi thought of. But that, saying that, how uh, Finney himself, somebody dug out an old tweet of his yeah, yeah, talking totally. about uh, the energy sector. But maybe he did, maybe he did, but I doubt he did. I like this idea. We talked about, again, I repeat in our uh, last interview, but talked about misinformation and money. And the misinformation and money incentivize people to lie. When there's no misinformation and money, where there is only truth, then it incentivizes the politicians to tell the truth. They have to. They have to tell the truth. So this idea, like, uh, going back to what I said earlier, I'm not a burn the system down guy. I want to strengthen democracy. So... If, if if truth around money in Bitcoin forces politicians to tell the, tell the truth, then that what we do is we strengthen democracy. Yeah. So
0: one of the things we talked earlier just, I, I mentioned kind of this idea of some of what's happening in uh, truth machine development, right? Yeah. There's these 40 functional MRIs that are now able to go into your thoughts, they're able to read images, and we are getting very close to the idea of a totally 100% accurate truth machine that will remove essentially anyone's ability to lie. It will do a series of biofeedback, microexpressions, brain imaging, the, such that people will not be able to lie. And those technologies will be mass-consumerized so that you'll have something on your watch that will essentially tell you this person's a liar or not every time they open their mouth. Sounds very Black Mirror. Very Black Mirror, very scary. Yeah. And society is not ready for that. No. But you start saying, okay... If Bitcoin moves people towards more honesty, more self-awareness, a time preference, and moves people to actually dis- disabandon the lie and embrace the truth, it it actually acts the way it should, which is a truth-sayer, driving more people towards the truth and moving society to a framework where we actually have objective truth and we can depend on it, because that is the purpose of the blockchain, is objective truth that we can rely on. Now. So much of what we deal with in society is subjective, uh-huh. and it's not well suited to AI and blockchains. And we like to say Bitcoin fixes this, when in fact there's a lot of human mess- messiness. But the underlying systems and the base technology should move society and humanity towards that objective truth, a much faster it, for those who embrace it. And our, I think, part of our job is to help more people understand it and embrace it earlier in preparation for the time when it will be forced on them. Because any technology or any social change that is forced on people inevitably leads to a very violent reaction.
2: Of course. Because what he just said, in adding on to say that truth machine, the real risk is if that becomes in a central bank digital currency where, they, where that's used as a control function for everybody else. Yeah. That's that becomes a real
0: risk. Please answer the truth machine before you authorize this transaction. Did you use this money to spread lies about your our, our leaders? Did you use this money to disagree with the current narrative? I'm sorry, your transaction is not approved. I know.
1: Which sounds <laughs> it sounds very 1984 and five six years ago. I said, uh, well, this just not, happened last month in what, Canada. Well, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> I was going to say, well, not in my country. It literally has just happened in Canada. Yeah, huh? and it's. Shocking!
2: Did you see? Did you see the recent Alex Gladstein just put the, this up? But, but in China, the um, this people singing from lockdown from their from their high uh, high rises. Yeah. Did you see this? Yeah, I've, I've seen them. And 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 the drone coming by to say, uh, "Go inside! You're no singing here. Curb, curb your ability to to to." to, to and uh, uh. you want a dystopian future, and it, where where you actually have to. You can't get out. there's um, and, and, and technology'll take if you concentrate wealth that much power through technology into a couple of people's hands or a nation's hands, um, pe- that's what will happen. And if it's not that leader, if that benevolent leader that you love it, uh, won't do it, then their son. It locks humanity and in forever into a system that you can. People don't rise up. The vast majority of people um, are the silent majority that don't stand up against the worst crimes around. Be and, and why in a, in a, in a society in a totalitarian society don't they? Because the people that do stand up go get shot. Yeah. Right. And and so if most people won't stand up today, what do you think will happen with tools of control that that that? that completely changed the ability for the, for the controller to do that at that scale.
1: This, this is why I think it's so important to get the communications with this into politics in the right way, because a, a, a US government that fears China, who is considering a CBDC and the similar controls that China has, you have to do a better job of control than China, and you can't. You can't. You cannot beat China at the control game. So beat them at the freedom game. Beat them at the truth machine. Beat them at the, you know.
0: Well, so Jeff and I did an interesting thought experiment. So we were playing out the idea. So one of the arguments against Bitcoin that often gets repeated, uh, especially by gold bugs, is the idea that when, because they agree with Bitcoiners on almost all things, right? Um, In terms of the root cause of the problem, government spending, inflation. They just believe that gold is real, Bitcoin not real. And obviously a lot of gold bugs have evolved from that, have, you know, those who actually study it and look at it, see that it is a better form. Larry Leapold. Yeah. Larry, L- Larry's incredible on that. Yeah. Um, you know, many, many of them are very informed and have actually looked at it with the same honest analysis that they can't, led to conclusions about gold. But, you know, one, pe- one criticism I've heard leveled on this is when the inevitable reset happens, why would the government ever choose Bitcoin? Because if they're la- late to the party, last, you know, one of the last currencies standing, why wouldn't they just go back to the gold standard? Because they hold all the gold. And Jeff had this, you know, we were going back and forth, and Jeff said, for all the countries that got pushed off the gold standard, who have no gold anymore, why would they ever go back to that system and trust the US and trust, you know, China, or trust Russia, or trust the few countries who actually have gold? like. They have no incentive to agree to the system. So the currency wars continue. There is no international reserve currency. And I mean, so it is literally impossible to go back to the past and adopt that system,
2: yeah the china russia and and u s would have to get together and agree and then count each other's reserves, which who knows who, and had, trust who has other. And trust each other um at the expense of every other nation to be able to go back to that. It's nonsense,
0: uh, but when when you see these systems and these kind of end games and you do this kind of war game sc- scenario, you realize, to your point, the opportunity to actually change people's perception of their freedoms, of their everyday happiness, and have that associated with pro-privacy, pro-freedom technologies like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not the only one. It's just the best one and the only one in the monetary sense. That has ever come along. But there are other technologies. When people no longer live in fear and actually feel like, okay, I can control my data. They don't live in fear of surveillance. So, you know, some other cypherpunk technologies that allow people to feel like, you know what? I'm not living in fear of being tracked every day. I can actually go about my life. I can talk to my neighbor. I can speak freely about my disagreements about, with the government without fear that if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be thrown in jail. And so by embedding these kind of pro-privacy, pro-individual, self-sovereign technologies, and I'm a big fan recently of expanding those beyond just monetary because I think money is at the base of it, but money in and of itself, as we're seeing, isn't enough. People were using Bitcoin in Canada, and they were targeted by chain analysis. They were targeted by who they were. They were targeted based off donating to something that was completely legal at the time that the government retroactively said we don't think is any legal anymore. So we want to create an environment where people don't feel like the single misstep or the single wrong word or speaking out for something you love will somehow come back on you because what eventually ends up happening is you get this kind of silent self-censorship this kind of natural inclination to I'm never going to take any risk I'm not going to talk and our society depends the future of our Existence as uh, as humans depends on our ability to stand up on the shoulders of people before us and say, "I'm willing to take it one step further and take some risk." And if the Chinese model, if these totalitarian models that have everyone living in fear become the dominant, and CBs CD- are part of that uh, totalitarian controls oligopies, like you said, democracy is incredibly horrible, but it's the best system <laughs> of the of a whole of a bunch of horrible systems. But if people don't have that freedom to say, I am willing to go take a risk and I can do it for economic improvement, I can do it for happiness improvement, I can do it just to get out there and try my hand as a stand-up comedian and say, fuck you to power (laughs) because I think I might be funny even though I get laughed off stage. But do that in an environment without fear. If we rob them of that, we build a couple more generations that grow up in this environment of fear, I really am afraid for our ability for humanity. And, but I want to r- remind people, I'm the most hopeful technologist and optimist you'll ever see. A friend of mine recently said, Austin, he goes, I loved your podcast, but why does every Bitcoin podcast end with the world is falling down and the system has to die and everyone's going to end up, you know, <laughs> the end of the world is coming. And I'm like, you're missing the part of the message. Like Bitcoin is that life raft. The reason we do what we do is because we believe that this can be averted or at least softened. Some things are inevitable. The change is coming. But it doesn't have to come with the violence and the human suffering that would happen without Bitcoin. A peaceful revolution.
2: And just building on that, I'm starting a a Bitcoin-only ecosystem fund. Okay. between thirty and fifty million start, and then there's a bunch of others uh, that that are, that are starting. and And why are they starting? And why am I doing this? Because what I realized is, yes, I have a whole bunch of other investments, and I still spend a lot of time kind of educating Bitcoin or doing this. But then I go back to my work and the other and the other work. and And as I understand what uh, Bitcoin can become, not just the network and what happens, and all the entrepreneurs on top of it that are building building the next wave of innovation you look at that and you go wait I love this industry I love the people that are that are doing this and I'm going to spend more time here advancing the industry that's going to make the, this happen and it won't be just me it, why, and why 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 because there's such an asymmetric bet um, for all of the new technology stack that's coming coming out on top of this uh, protocol and I don't think that's that's well understood by most people. Uh, today, because they're building on altcoins and stuff that are unstable foundations. That it's not the entrepreneurs building on top of them. Those entrepreneurs are just trying to develop something that matters. But when they understand that, wait, I can build it on on a protocol that is stable. And they couldn't a long time ago. They couldn't last year. But now they now they can. And all of this technology is now opening up to where there's just going to be this this. Wild growth curve in what's to what's to come, and and I think why wouldn't I invest my time there? Because it, it's it, it's fun, asymmetric bet, and and so I can spend more time. And you you can see all of the people around this space diving in and wanting to spend more time. It, it, that tells you something. Yeah, t- it, it it tells you something where the world's going,
1: and and that world is really hopeful. Austin, just. Circling back to what you mentioned uh, previously about the importance of free speech with with all of this um what do you make of uh, elon musk's uh twitter move uh, I think it's super interesting he's clearly somebody who i I do believe is a uh uh a supporter of free speech he understands the importance of free speech uh yeah let's give a pass to his Chinese factories at the moment because he has business decisions to make but um do you do you believe that this is something he recognizes? He recognizes the threat to, to the U.S., to humanity that speech has been shut down, and and that Twitter is a real focal point for this. Like, how important is this? Because I I, 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 part of me has like been pinning my hopes to his recent move that this is going to uh, swing the pendulum back to more freer speech, but I, I don't want to put too much hopes on one individual.
0: I think that's an important comment. And I think uh, your last statement is one of the most important. We often compare Bitcoin to TCPIP. Uh-huh. Um, on our last conversation, I know, um, I don't, at one point, I know uh, it's probably coming. We talked about the evolution of TCPIP actually didn't depend on any one person, but it did at various points depend on principal people fighting for certain rights. I gave the example of John Postel and, you know, the domain name system that could have been taken back and controlled by the United States. Um, Elon, and I want to be careful here because, you know, Elon gets an outsized amount of attention because he is a change maker. He is the world's richest person. Um, he has disrupted and changed so many industries. Um And when he came into Bitcoin, everyone ran off and were like, he's our savior. And then you see people walking around with fuck Elon (laughs) t-shirts because he somehow betrayed us. I knew Elon when he was at PayPal. I've interacted with him at various times. Um, He has an incredible sense of humor. He is an incredible engineer. He has an incredible sense of irony. And in fact, a big part of his life is based off, you know, all things being equal, the most ironic situation is the most likely. Um, I think part of this is a genuine reflection that he loves how Twitter gives him a sense of freedom and to bypass the short sellers, bypass the media, talk directly to a fan base. Um, And I think he treasures that and believes that it's a goodness in society. Um, But I'm making assumptions there. Um, I know a lot of people who came to me and were like, Austin, you got to talk to Elon about his support of Dogecoin. And somehow, like, it was my responsibility to save the world from, you know, investing in
1: Dogecoin, right? Well, at at times, it does rely on individuals. (laughs) Um, My personal opinion,
0: I think Elon is very aware of what he's doing with Dogecoin. I think he appreciates it for the joke it is. And the SEC sued him. This is just a personal opinion. The SEC sued him for promoting Bitcoin. He is absolutely restricted from talking about his real opinions on Bitcoin. But he can make Joseph a Dogecoin all he wants because the company holds none. And if people are dumb enough to believe in the most (laughs) inflation-turned-up, inflationary coin in the world, he views it as a lesson in radical self-awareness and radical self-sufficiency. He is a Burning Man burner at heart. And so he's like, if you don't do your research and you want to believe all this Dogecoin stuff, and he loves memes. So, you know, you can look at his love of Twitter for all the same reasons. And when you love something and you have those types of resources, you want to protect it. You want to leave your mark on it. And uh, I'm hopeful that he can help the health of Twitter, but I also have a tons of appreciation for what Jack has done mm. and the thoughtfulness of, and the pressure that Jack has been under. And everyone looks, likes to look for easy solutions. Um, so, when I built one of my startups, we were looking at, uh, there was this game called Post Secret, if you're familiar. It was a real world uh, game where someone started leaving postcards around the world and said, You can mail me your secret on a postcard. And it took off. And if you ever go into a library, look at Post Secret. You can find it on the web. The most heart wrenching, but beautiful pieces of art. People who constructed these. Sometimes at the end of my bottle of medicine, I wish it would never end because I'm more empty inside than this bottle of medicine. Like heartbreaking, oh. but like people revealing their souls. And so when Frank Warren, who created Post Secret, he started collecting these, putting them in a book. He sold the books to you know support national suicide lines. He went and put it online. And the worst parts, what was a beautiful project, the worst parts of human behavior started coming out, and he took it offline. People would be sending in online versions of, I left her body at these GPS coordinates. Oh. And he just said, you know what? There's something authentic and beautiful about this. I'm taking it offline. I'm going to keep it on postcards, because the worst parts of anonymity and pseudonymity and people trying to troll me come out online, and I just don't want it. So... As technologists, we're like, put everything online. It can solve everything. Yeah. But this was like a great example of something that was actually ruined by the ephemerality, by the anonymity, by the pseudonymity. Um, And so by the same degree, we all love Twitter. Twitter has changed the public concept of a public square, But it also has (laughs) come with a lot of downsides. (laughs) Peter Peter doesn't
1: love Twitter. Uh,
0: It has come with downsides. It does. Which we both suffered from. It affected my health when I was running Blockstream. I started feeling like an attack on Blockstream. I had a real hard time distancing the co- attacks on the company from attacks on me, from, and it started to affect my happiness and health.
1: Don't D- to me, people won't know, but Jeff's my uh, secret Twitter mentor. <laughs> 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 he gives me advice, and then, like a disappointed parent, but, uh, a few days later, I I ignore his advice to <laughs> do something stupid. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. the same thing people do on Bitcoin too, because
2: the the idea becomes you. And then you defend your your own yourself, your ego, when somebody attacks the idea, and and it's it and and that's pretty normal. So what I, I, the thing we said, no one can hurt your feelings without your ability to say nobody can say anything to you that mattered. Like why do you let it matter? Um, from some unknown source. Like how could I, I just kind of go? How could
1: that hurt? I think what it is it's it's it can it can come down to volume. Like the occasional thing is fine, but when you hear the same thing over and over again, it's like, okay, have they got a point? Am, am I a dumbass? Well, actually I've accepted that one. But like like uh <laughs> So it's
2: just just so you know, a bunch of people that love you because of the way you you do, you do that, you're no dumbass. But the way with the way that you open up that conversation and call yourself uh, that, that's it's a huge reason for you falling. So yeah, people say that to you.
1: It's also useful sometimes. It's yeah. also useful because it's a mirror to yeah. to question yourself. And and I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, actually, in the end, it comes down to productivity. Uh, Michael Saylor said he, he said a brilliant thing to me last time I spoke to him. It's all about focus. Where you focus? Where's yeah. your energy? Where you productive? naturally actually, this is the most productive thing I can do. I somehow, I don't think I'm the best interviewer. I don't, I, I don't think, I think I have some good questions, but I somehow have ability to get good people together like you two <laughs> to have this conversation that can go out to thousands, tens of thousands of people. And, and, and that's a productive use of time.
0: So when I coach startups, we talked about this as uh, the density of intensity. Okay. Right? And I said, the scarcest resource you have as a startup is focus. And if you think about your job as directed energy, you have to choose. Do you want to be a flashlight or a laser beam? Right? Because your job is to break through some barrier. Uh Some barrier of market acceptance, some barrier of technology, some technical barrier you need to break through. And do you want to be doing it with a flashlight, pointing a flashlight at a steel thing, or do you want to be the laser that actually has a chance to punch through? Yeah. And it's only once you actually punch through and you're able to increase the size or the scope, the diameter of your laser, do you actually build a bigger hole? And you, know, you have the energy to actually take on bigger battles. But initially, if you're trying to do that with a flashlight, it's never going to work.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, the, the whole old cliche of the, uh, the man on his deathbed what do you wish you know i wish i'd work less i think we can add into that now i wish i'd been on twitter less <laughs> because, no, but it, and it's, it's fascinating because i've lost time to to family my daughter she's like get what are you doing on twitter now i've told her i'm off twitter uh she's like is it still on your phone like she recognizes the uh. impact so p- productivity use of time like time and bitcoin are both scarce resources how how do you best use them uh uh Bitcoin, I'm, I'm okay with that. I've managed that. Now, how how best use the time you have? And it's we all have a diminishing amount. It's a scarce resource. Yeah. And you know, do I want to do productive things? Do I want to do things that make me happy? Do I want to do things that make my family happy? So uh, it's a lot of it's down to productivity. Actually, also p- um, personal growth. I actually find Twitter uh, has a negative impact on personal growth. <laughs> I think it, it can turn people into absolute pricks.
0: When I changed my opinion about Twitter, and I changed my own habits around it, Um, I was able to find incredible resources where I'm able to tap into Twitter to network with subject matter experts, to tap into a global, uh, you know, kind of consciousness or global expertise on certain topics that I would never be able to have access to before. Um, But I have totally anonymous Twitter accounts that I use for that. And I have multiple devices, and some of my devices don't have any of my accounts.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: And, and and so for for me, I've found quite the opposite. I found I've met so many incredible people on that platform, um now met them personally, but 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 connected on that on that platform. Um, but I might only go on once a day, yeah, I might um and and I try I can't get through all of this stuff, but I try to but and and why? because I need to focus my time on on more important things. So yeah. I'm not on I'm not. It it's, it it doesn't it doesn't drive me it doesn't fulfill me to say okay I have to do this I have to do this I have to do this on this I u, use it but 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 as a tool to meet people all over the world and some incredible te- and learn things
1: too well it's you and fan- I
2: met through Twitter yeah it's you, been
1: fantastic I can't remember you reached out to me yeah um, we met through Twitter we met through so yeah I mean yep. yeah look, like how
2: do you do, how do you how do you value that
1: oh no I and yeah. I will be back yeah. on it in a different way <laughs> yeah. but you have to have that moment to escape. Consider yeah. it, personal growth, reflect, and go back. But circling back, as we all recognize, it is an important tool. So it's important that it defends free speech. So can
2: I, can I jump into the Elon yeah. conversation and it, from a...
1: Yeah. What's your perspective?
2: <clears throat> so I don't... Nobody knows why he's doing it, and I. but I do believe he believes in free speech. Yeah. Um, I do believe he understands the problem at the monetary level, at the policy level. But a lot of his businesses rely on the monetary level like it is. And that creates the wealthiest person on the planet and the most powerful person and the most. And now you think about the most, the wealthiest person on the planet owns a satellite network that will be a communication that owns an energy network and, and uh, automotive and moving into a robotic network that knows all the same things that I know about where technology is going. And he builds his business by projecting what he can deliver you two or three years and selling you this vision, and then charging you today for it—that's how he builds all his businesses. And all of these businesses is now in communication channels. What do you think that could look like? The risk to one man holding that much control over all of these things and influence over us—that that, that, turn, that turns—and and that's the thing. I, I, he could be the dark overlord. He 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 could be fantastic, but. Trusting a system on one man's opinion who could change their mind is a really bad system. And so, so in, in that piece, if and yeah, I know he's a bit <coughs> older and he hasn't, ha- hasn't sold, but if he understands all of the same thing the way that we do, then, then I find it disingenuous to talk about Dogecoin. Coin, because, it, because we won't be a multiplanet planet series species. If, if we have Dodgecoin. <laughs> we, we will blow ourselves up. Well, so I find it's completely disingenuous yeah. just to say, um, we got to be, have to be a multiplanetary species, but I'm benefiting from a system and all of the West's wealth and power is d- d- uh, benefiting from a system that is, that is not a free market system, that has negative externalities to everybody else, and I'm not gonna advocate for, for the right system. I, and and so that is my thing specifically with Elon and it just kind of just reinforces the the whole thing don't meet your heroes don't idolize people people bitcoin doesn't care it yeah. doesn't care about me doesn't care about you it just keeps on doing the job and and it doesn't allow any single person
1: to have that much control well that was uh, one of the great observations during the week was that yeah he buys 3 billion uh in uh, stock, in Twitter stock, and ends up with a board seat to exert his influence over yep. it. Michael Saylor's bought $3 billion in Bitcoin. He can't exert his control over consensus rules.
0: And Michael Saylor's influence grows based off his advocacy, grows yep. based off the reputation. Um, I think could continue to grow based off potentially products that MicroStrategy delivers or investments they make in the open source community or expansions they make into Bitcoin's functionality beyond just being owners and HODLers. Um, and I think those are well-deserved uh, kind of meritocracy-based investments. And I would not put it past Elon to have very similar ambitions for Bitcoin as well. If you start thinking about you know, Bitcoin in a grid, Bitcoin in robotics, Bitcoin in power uh you know compensation or Bitcoin in abundant power systems in you know dealing with some of the inequities in grid payments and distribution and storage of uh, energy when you start to have abundant solar and issues around transfer or recharge, so there are so many potentials for Bitcoin to solve some of the very real issues that he that align with some of his goals of you know helping helping slow down the destruction of this planet um in his view, Uh, and many people based off climate helping extend the window that we have to get to another planet. Um, There's so many things that Bitcoin actually aligned and support that mission. But to Jeff's point, if they depend on one person controlling the entire system, and it depends on perpetuating a lie, we just have to assume that externalities and other incentives put any reliance on one person at too, too important of a role, and Bitcoin should be fighting against that. You know, he's never made any secret. He came out very publicly and said, "I was late to the B- B- Bitcoin game," right? Like, w- w- you know, w- we know a lot of the PayPal investors. I raised some money from some of the PayPal investors. I knew them back in their day when they were working on PayPal. Um, we were working on eCash at Zero Knowledge, so we spent a lot of time with people, other people working on payment systems like PayPal, um, and. These people weren't dumb, weren't ignorant to, uh, to Bitcoin. But Elon has said he ignored it for so many years because his main priority was Tesla and
1: SpaceX. Do Do you think, because he is, he, obviously he's fully aware of Bitcoin now. They bought 1.5 billion in Bitcoin for Tesla. Uh, he's talked about, but he, he's obviously done some research. Do you think... Uh, Hyper-Bitcoinization is a risk to his businesses and the dominance his businesses have and the potential rate of innovation. So uh, what I would put there is a lot of people criticize MMT and incentive structures, but also, it's. I think you have to accept sometimes with things like MMT, there is a, a ability for money to be directed towards certain projects that drive innovation. Like Tesla wouldn't wouldn't exist as it is today without this government subsidies.
0: Yeah, but that's a double-sided, as oh, we've seen. no, no, I know. No. One administration props him up, the other one excludes him.
1: I'm not justifying it. What I'm saying is, is that's, that's an outcome from it. Is hyper-Bitcoinization a risk to so, his, he, his, he, his...
2: So, he's, he's a great enough entrepreneur with enough different businesses that the answer is no that it, he's already crossed the rubicon okay. on some of these this, these these businesses. Do, I don't know if you, you know this but in 1980 it cost $25,000 per kilogram to get something into into space. His his new rocket coming out next year the year after will launch for about $200 per kilogram. Wow. It's the market it, it's the market force of that reduction in price that opens up a new frontier. Satellites frontier and it opens up so many other frontiers that we don't see until that o- opens up. Um, so he's already the leader in a whole bunch of these in- uh, industries, and arguably one of the leaders in artificial intelligence because of what what the cars are mapping and um, and that turning into robotics. Um, so where that where where that's coming so. He has already crossed that Rubicon, and there's a there's so would would it slow down some of his businesses? Would it slow down all the, business, all, all the businesses as everything is repriced into this new event? Um, yeah, but he could also play on
0: that side of it. Okay. Well, and so famously, a lot of there's been criticism of Elon, and I, I don't, I'm I'm not on the ground, I'm not aware of the facts, but obviously um, there's been a lot of attacks on how he treats workers, how he treats you know. There's some lawsuits about, you know, kind of racial issues in his factories. There was a lot of criticism about his lack of support of unions. And in fact, many people point out that this administration um, has actually, you know, gone out of its way to not recognize or acknowledge or give any funding to Tesla because it's not a union shop. And um, Elon has talked about this. He believes in treating his employees better than any union would. His frustration with unions is that they just don't allow him to improve or iterate fast enough for the future that he's building. He just says, I need to make mistakes, and I need to learn from them, and I need to do that faster than any union will let me. Because a union purposely gets in there and negotiates and won't even let you see the result of your mistake. And he goes, I can't build the future uh, our society needs fast enough. He's got ar- that incredible time pressure. And that's a fair he, argument. Uh, yeah. And that's a very fair argument. And he says, so w- when I oppose a union, it's not because I don't believe my employees deserve the best. He goes, I actually believe it's killing the very thing that we're all here to prevent, which is, you know, th- not not evolving technology fast enough to save us from a future we don't want and provide the future we do. And so you can look at that and say, you know, that's a very hard argument to argue against.
1: But, but-, is, it, but is he also rationalizing?
0: I don't know. I I believe it's actually just a very honest look at what is the necessary requirements to build a system that actually creates a, 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 the result you want. Okay. Austin's hey.
2: an optre- entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. It that's not rationalizing. That's how fast this is moving and the and the system that you need to be able to innovate to. How fast these how fast these opportunities are going. It needs to be flexible to move.
1: Sure, but Which business owner in the history of life has ever wanted to have unions? Agreed. agreed. Yeah. But
0: uh, take unions out of it. Yeah. Right. Um, Henry Ford wanted his workers to be successful. Yeah. um, You know, because he wanted them to be customers of his car company. Right. Unions, it had nothing to do with unions. You know, he just saw there was an alignment between healthy workers and a healthy business. And many very enlightened entrepreneurs see the exact same thing. This is where I was commenting on this idea that some of these Bitcoin bonds we could create at the municipal level, I actually believe would be funded not only by Bitcoiners who want to see the spread of Bitcoin and support Bitcoin, but some of the richest billionaires out there because they actually believe in America. Totally. They love America. They believe in the American spirit. They're just left between two horrible options, right? Austerity and corruption and cronyism on one side. And tax the rich to hand out to the poor and social subsidies and these progressive things that make them the enemy of the people for being successful on the other side. And when you're given those two options, it's very, very easy to say, you know what, I'm just going to take my money and I'll invest in both parties and I'll keep them arguing and I'll go about creating the future I want. And we need to give those people another option. And Bitcoin is that other option, which is you can directly invest in the American people. You can directly invest in the Indian people, because I don't believe this is an American-only issue. You can go to El Salvador and directly invest in El Salvadorans or, you know, any other country, right? We've seen, you know, billionaires in Mexico adopt Bitcoin uh, and start talking about how, you know, we need to move Mexico away from the cartels by creating the same type of economic liberation that we're seeing the hope or the promise or hopefully the start of in other latin american countries we're seeing the same thing happen in africa so you know naturally entrepreneurs when they're given a better option are usually really really good in recognizing how to lean into that better option and go you know kind of full speed ahead without a lot of distractions. That, 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 that's the mark of a successful entrepreneur.
2: And that's why it's wildly exciting because that option is there right now. Capital is starting to understand that option and realizing that that free market, and all of those ideas competing are as going and, and those ideas, training somebody versus having a product that is like, like Palm Pilot and the iPhone, pretty similar 10 years, it just, the technology, yeah. technology changed. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't live without it. Um, is there any instruction manual to your iPhone? No. It's all of a sudden, when the UX and, and, and the technology hits a point where, where it drives a free market, you have a massive new industry exploding. And capital chases that new industry. And that's that's what's happening on Bitcoin right now. It's still early, but that's actually why it's I so I remember exciting. trying
0: to teach my mother how to do the Palm Pilot tr- letters, because I was so excited to get her on the Palm Pilot. And it ended up in her drawer and she was like, never used it. Cause the idea of doing the manual and having to learn the new scratch letters, yeah. it was just totally beyond her. Whereas, you and, know,
2: and so that, uh, so a lot of people are looking, she'll through jump the, all
0: over the internet and be able to use the latest technology because she wants to be on eBay. <laughs> yeah. And it's so easy that there's no barrier there anymore. Yeah.
2: So people are looking through Bitcoin today when they, a lot of people are looking through Bitcoin and saying, oh, it's, it's hard. It's not a lot of people are using it that tells you the use cases that are coming. Yep. It tells you what entrepreneurs are going to go solve and create incredible businesses by making that easier and onboarding the millions, the tens of millions, hundreds of millions that don't
1: already already have it. Hmm. Amazing. (laughs) It's a lot to digest here. Um, Is there anything else easier you want to talk about before we finish up? The
0: only... Com- I- I'm actually going to do a small plug. Not- yeah, no,
1: don't do it, please. God, I always take your time. Um,
0: Some details are going to be-, be emerged, but I was recently talking with a bunch of Bitcoiners about you know this whole idea that Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department. We're all the marketing department. We are all part of the marketing department, but that opens it up the same way Bitcoin can be used by people you hate. Yeah. And it's actually made stronger. Oftentimes, that's not true when it comes to Bitcoin marketing. <laughs> In the sense of the press loves to latch on to some of the worst parts of the Bitcoin marketers or stories, whether that's from shitcoiners, whether or not that's from people who, you know, love to stand up and say, you know, something that's very inflammatory that allows Bitcoin to be demonized. Um, and so, uh, you know, just a bunch of Bitcoiners, a bunch of people uh, that I, I've been talking to recently got the idea of and under area, I think, is the ability for art you know, some of the things we've seen with Bansky, some of the people, you know, very Satoshi-like, the idea that art can actually be a vehicle to invite people in, to ask better questions. Um, And so uh, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff around Bitcoin Interactive Public Art coming up over the next year. Love it. And I would, you know, at one point, I'll throw it up on my Twitter. I'll, you know, lend my name to it and actually say I'm supporting some of these projects. But I really love the idea that we as a community can start to think about the mark we leave and that can include like institutions and things like art Um, because I think there are some communities, whether or not that promotes financial education, financial awareness, um, there are so many opportunities for us to actually get out there and start making our mark and using some of the benefits, the wealth accumulation, the, uh, you know, that is so timely right now. And so uh, that's kind of my hope, is uh, that over the next couple of years, a lot of these incredible benefits that Bitcoin has brought to us, or some of us who were there early, that we begin to look at Bitcoin has been so good to us. How do we be good to Bitcoin back? Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like it's kind of a moral obligation for me to figure out what can I do for Bitcoin in a way that, you know, kind of pay it forward for, for what it's done for me. And so things like supporting initiatives in El Salvador. I also am an investor in a whole bunch of Bitcoin-only uh, venture capital funds. I have the privilege of being able to do that. And I did enough venture capital that I feel I'm good. Everyone's going to find their way. I'm not saying you have to be an artist. You have to choose our way. But I really invite people, if Bitcoin's been good to you, start looking for ways to be good to Bitcoin back.
1: I totally agree. Anything you want to plug while you're here? John. Nope. No plug. Just buy Jess book. Yeah. The Price of Tomorrow, <laughs> available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any good bookstore, one of the best The Spanish version,
0: <laughs> by the way, is coming out oh, yeah. very shortly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it will
1: be free online for free. Yeah. We will share that in the show notes. This uh, uh, an absolute pleasure. I am uh, honored to have the chance to sit down with you both and call you friends and uh, have your ear outside of the podcast whenever I reach out to you. Um, uh, An absolute honor and pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you so much, Austin. Um, I guess we should go and get a beer. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you.
0: We really appreciate it, yeah, Peter. thanks, Peter. I
1: do. I do, too. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel, or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at did.com.